Welcome to Photo Taco, the only show with photography tips you can learn in the time it takes to eat a taco. Or perhaps a burrito. Photo Taco! Hey everybody, welcome into another episode of Photo Taco on the Improved Photography Network. Thanks for spending a few minutes of your day with me. I'm your host, Jeff Harmon, and thanks to everyone for reviewing and rating the show if you've done that. If you haven't yet, really appreciate you heading over to iTunes, finding the show, providing a review. You can click on the link in the show notes if you can see those as a shortcut to get there. Also joining the Facebook group, the link to it there, but it's facebook.com slash groups slash photo taco. If you haven't joined the group yet, you're missing out on the conversation, a really good community of photographers just helping each other out. It's a great place to ask questions and get some good, solid answer, answers where the ego's kind of been checked at the door. You really need to check it out. And this week was a little bit more in particular related to the podcast than usual because I posted a photo into that group and asked if there was interest in a how I got the shot of the photo. I had a lot of positive feedback, lots of people saying they were interested in my how I got the shot for it. So that's what the episode's going to be today. And uh, let's start with what the photo is. I took a uh, overnight camping trip with my local scout troop. We went up into the mountains here in Utah uh, and went to a place near a place called Payson Lakes Campground. It was a wonderful, beautiful uh, summer night here in Utah. It was great, a great opportunity to be able to take some photos. But I wasn't there to take photos. I was there to help scouts. And uh, but I, I took a few minutes and took a shot and I managed to come up with a really good one. And I thought it would be very uh, educational and helpful for a lot of people if I go through kind of the process I went through to get the shot. Not just what are the camera settings and what are what did I do in Lightroom? What were the slider settings I used in Lightroom? But how I came to get the shot, how I came to get the composition, how I came to decide what gear I used, how I came to decide the settings, the processes I went through. And I've recorded this this episode several times now trying to figure out how to go through that detail and not take an hour to do it. <laughs> but So I'm going to try to shorten it up as I record it this time. We'll see how I do. Okay, first let's start with the, the photo itself is uh, it's kind of technically imperfect. Um, it's hard to, as a photographer, kind of admit that, but I stretched my gear to the limits for sure as I was taking the photo. Um, and as a result, I, the photo has some noise in it and in the edges, it's, uh, the, the image quality goes down. It's softer. It's more distorted in the edges with the lenses I'm using. And, but still it's a strong photo. It's still a good photo. In fact, it's, as I've posted it out on my own personal Facebook profile, Instagram profile, um, it's gotten some of the best likes, the most likes of any photo I've, I've had out there in quite some time. And I think it's because the composition is so strong. It's got really strong compositional elements that overcome those technical imperfections of the photo. And so let's start there. Let's start with the composition because that has more to do with the photo being good than anything else. And that's more important to discuss than any of the other aspects about how I got the shot. So the strong composition, part of the reason it's strong, I had a vision for the composition before I was even setting up my tripod, before I was even setting, um, getting out my gear out of my backpack, before night had even fallen. I had this vision of what I wanted to shoot because I've been out shooting night photography with the scout troop before, and I've experimented enough to understand what I wanted to do to make the shot, to improve the shots I've been getting, 
to the point where now I have a really strong composition. It also helped with a little bit of luck, and I'll explain. So the shot is a Milky Way shot. That's what I wanted to have. And in my head, I knew I wanted to have this tent with the boys inside the tent with their flashlights on getting ready for bed. I wanted that glowing tent as the primary subject in the foreground of the photo. I've had that in other photos that I've taken, and I really liked the effect and the look of it, so I knew I wanted to have that there. Then I knew when we got to the campsite, there was this, well, I knew before that that I wanted something kind of in a middle layer and then hoped that I could have the stars and even better if the Milky Way could be in the background. And it turned out that it just worked that the Milky Way ended up in the background. That's kind of the lucky part. When we got to the site, um, this row of pine trees was there, and I, I thought, well, that would make a really good middle layer in the in the composition of the shot. And then the stars, I hoped the Milky Way, and it would be there. I wanted to get up there to our campsite and use my smartphone to find where the Milky Way was going to appear that night and see how I could come up with the composition for that being in the background. And there was no cell phone coverage. There was no data. There was no nothing. <laughs> it didn't matter the network. We were remote enough and high enough up in the mountains that there was just nothing. And so I couldn't use my smartphone to uh, find where the Milky Way was going to be. And it just lucked out to be right where I hoped it would be based on where uh, the boys had set up their tent and where the pine trees were. The, the Milky Way just ended up being the background. So it was a little bit lucky in that sense, but I kind of had this vision for how I wanted it to be and um, figured out how to, to construct the composition so it would work. Now, the other thing that was a little bit lucky about it was the, the triangle that appeared in the photo. It's, uh, it's something I'm going to call the block technique. It's something Jim Harmer trains on in his photography start course. If you go to improvephotography.com, you can find that course. It's a, a very inexpensive course and teaches you a lot about many aspects of photography, but composition techniques that he calls the block method is one of them. And it's trying to see how the actual things in the photo kind of correlate together to with each other to make block shapes. And in this case, it's a triangle. And if you can see the photo, if you saw it on Facebook, maybe you can see that. I'm also going to post the photo at improvephotography.com slash PT Milky Way, that's photo taco PT Milky Way. And you'll be able to see how this triangle is there. I have to excuse my voice. I'm struggling with allergies and it's it's really raspy today. So anyway, this triangle forms, and I'm gonna to try to describe it in words, but if you can go take a look at the photo, if you're driving, don't do it yet. But if you can go take a look at the photo, you can kind of see this triangle in there, and it really pulls everything together. So even though I, I had this multi-layered vision for the landscape photo, the triangle was not included in my vision at first until I kind of saw how the Milky Way was was in the background and how the, it corresponded to the tent. I noticed that was there. I repositioned my tripod and camera to um, to really draw that triangle tighter and and make it a more clear triangle. So I saw it when I was there and, and took advantage of it. And it just really pulls everything together. So the triangle forms on the third lines, or at least I moved my camera and tripod until it did, until that triangle was on the third lines. So on the right third line, kind of center down, I had, it's, these are imaginary lines for people that maybe aren't familiar with rule of thirds. These are imaginary lines. You can configure a lot of cameras to even show them in the viewfinder so that you can see the third lines. 
on the camera, but so there's not real lines. It's just third lines that are imaginary and objects are falling within those lines and where they cross. So on the right third line, about center down, is the point of the triangle. And if you go left and up diagonally toward the upper left corner of the photo and to the right, the left third lines, that's where the Milky Way lines up. That's where the Milky Way ends up. And that makes one side of the triangle, those lines corresponding together. And then go, from that same center point on the right third line going diagonally left down is where the tent ends up at the left third line. So there's this nice triangle leading lines kind of thing. Not as much on the tent line. There's not all leading lines to it, but the Milky Way really follows it and draws that line there. And then of course, on the left third imaginary line, the Milky Way, kind of the end of it in the photo and the tent all line up there because I moved my composition until it worked. And that's what makes the photo so compelling. That's what makes the photo a good photo. Even though there's these technical imperfections, that's kind of the point about my how I got the shot on this because a lot of people like the photo and even though there's some noise in there, they don't look at the photo and non-photographers don't know to call it noise. So they don't say, Ooh, that looks really grainy right there. What? That's weird. Why is that there? Which they can do when there's not good, strong composition and their eyes aren't drawn more towards the actual subjects and less about the technical details of the photo. Or looking at the edges and be like, why is it so, why do the stars a little bit more oblong there or stretched, um, which is the distortion in the corners. And it's just not the comments that I'm getting. It was, wow, I love this shot. This is great. It also helps that it, most of it was seen on mobile devices. So little three inch screens or five inch screens was all people were looking at it with. You can see a lot more of the technical imperfections, of course, on a bigger screen. And most of them are viewing it on mobile devices. So that helps, but it's still just um, the composition, I think, draws away from the technical imperfections. All right, let's talk about the gear because I think that's an important aspect too. I wanted to, to bring across the point that you don't have to spend $10,000 in gear in order to get a compelling night shot. It helps. The more, the better the gear you've got, of course, the better it's going to work out. And the, the more room you'll have without hitting the limits of your gear. I definitely hit the limits of my gear as I took this photo, but it's okay. I still came out with a decent shot that I'm really proud of. And that's kind of the mindset I wanted to instill in everybody was you can have more inexpensive gear. It's still very capable as gear and you can still get really compelling shots. All right. So first off my camera body, I shoot the Canon 7D Mark II. It's a crop sensor body. I really love the camera body. It's, it's nice. But my first point will be as long as you're not shooting with a point and shoot or trying to get this with your smartphone, you have a good chance of getting a, a really nice night photo. The camera body plays less of a role than the lens does. And so no matter which one you've got, no matter what camera body you have, don't let that be an excuse to not go try some night photography. You'll learn a lot about photography if you haven't done it yet to try night because it's really challenging photography. It's tough, tough to get a good night shot. And so if you go out there and you try it, you're going to learn a ton. I learned even a, a lot more again, stuff I wish I would have thought to try on this very shoot with this same shot. I learned some things that I want to try next time. So I'm, I keep building on my experiences and getting more understanding about how, what things I can control, 
what options I have to maybe overcome the limitations of my gear. And I'm improving every single time. And that's that's the name of the game here. We want everyone to improve their photography. And you can do it even if you don't have a Canon or a, a very nice low noise body that's going to help you capture the night sky um, more perfectly than, say, a, a, a smaller sensor body. So don't let that stop you. As far as cost goes, um, the Canon T3i is an entry-level DSLR that's really actually very old now, but the sensor technology hasn't really changed dramatically in the Canon lineup since then. A little bit, and some of the newer ones um, actually improved it a lot. The Canon 80D that was just released this year in 2016 is a, is a dramatically different sensor. But it's still a really good sensor in the Canon T3i, even though the camera's really old. Uh, it's a good sensor, and it comes in at about $750 on Amazon. You might be able to find some deals that get, get better than that, but that's kind of a, a entry-level, get-started, good-enough body to really help if you, if, that's, if you don't have a camera body yet. The other one that would be even more compelling, I think, because it's cheaper at $350 is the Nikon D3200. Really good quality sensor in there that can help you to get going on some landscape and in particular night photography. So those are some entry level bodies that would really get you started. And you, it, when you master those, when you figure out what you can do to get a good shot with those camera bodies and you're just not happy with like the noise in the photo, you want to get to that point so that then you can consider getting something bigger and better and try to improve the technical quality because you've reached the limits of those camera bodies. That would be the ideal place to get to. And this is a great way to learn and get started. Next is the lens. And this is a really critical factor. It's one that you can't, you can't do um, cheap here. <laughs> I'm not even gonna say inexpensive. You can't do cheap here. Cheap is something like kit lens in my mind. Uh, kit lenses are still, they're not completely cheap. They're still fairly expensive. They're still hundreds of dollars. Um, but they usually came with your camera, so you don't count that as costs. And they're just, the problem is they're not wide enough and they're not fast enough. And if you don't understand what those words mean, I'll explain very briefly, but that's that's an indicator you, you got to dig in and learn the, the language of photography and learn how to use your camera. Wide enough, it, usually a kit lens, the widest it goes is 18 millimeters. That's the focal length that it goes to as, as the most wide. Most, I'll call it zoomed out, is a lot of how non-photographers talk about it. And um, it, that's just not enough. It's too zoomed in, I'll say. And so you, you'd be left to trying to do like a panorama of the night scene. And that's a really tough panorama to stitch together. It's really hard to make uh, the software understand how to put that together. Um, and then it's not fast enough. It usually has a maximum aperture. The most wide open it can shoot is at f3.5. That's just not wide enough. It's not capable of being able to go and put enough light into the camera sensor that you have a chance at getting a higher quality less noisy image. So the one that I chose, uh, being on a hobbyist budget and I needing wanting to have kind of the most price per, for, for performance, get the, the one that cost the less, least, but still provided me a good chance at getting a night photo. That was the primary purpose I even bought the lens was actually night photography. I really wanted Milky Way shots. But this one's also capable of doing really well in the daytime with landscapes. And so it's it's a 
it's pretty much only four landscapes. The focal range on it is 11 to 16 millimeters, which means you're not going to shoot portraits with it. It doesn't really work very well for that. I have shot some group shots with it so that I could fit them in and it distorts enough that that's kind of a problem. And uh, so you, you're really going to relegate it just to landscape photography, which means a lot of people will shy away from it on a hobbyist budget because it's a it's really a luxury expense at that point, unless this is your passion and this is what you want to do. This is a great lens to start out with for landscape photography. And it's the Tokina ATX 116 Pro DX2, which is lenses. I have terrible names, <laughs> but that's a, it's a Tokina lens specifically designed for crop sensors. That's a note. If you're, if you're looking for the Tokina lens, they offer one that's for full frame. It's a wholly different lens. And um, this is one that was specifically designed for crop sensors. It comes in at about $450, which is not cheap, obviously. That's that's a good chunk of change still. But it does a really good job with, with uh, enabling me to go and shoot some landscapes at a fairly reasonable price. There's better lenses out there. There are far more money. Uh, with one exception that I'll go to in a second. The problem with the Tokina lens that I have with night is... It does go wide open at f2.8, but when you do, when you shoot it that wide open, the edges do get really soft and distorted, and it causes a problem enough that I've learned I really kind of have to crop in on my photo, and I lose a lot of that focal length anyway. I, I lose the 11 millimeters quite a bit because the edges are so soft and distorted when it's shot at its limits at f2.8 that I, I just don't like how it looks, and it's not usable for my own kind of photography. I didn't notice it at first. When I was first shooting it, um, I was fine with how it was. But as I've learned and dealt with it more and more, I've kind of figured out I have to crop in. And I took that in consideration when I did my composition here. I made sure that my triangle in the block technique that I talked about was well within the middle parts of the frame so that I wouldn't have to throw away any part of the triangle, really. And I could get that triangle on the rule of thirds. I couldn't do it fully. I didn't have enough space to actually do it completely that way, but it was close enough that I, I could come up with a compelling photo and very little of the edge distortion and softness would show through. I love the lens still. I'm not saying that the lens is terrible. I'm really glad I got it and that I had it to start with because I've got some really nice shots. The daytime shots where I can uh, stop it down a little more and get to uh, f8 or f11 are really compelling shots too and I'm really glad I have it. But specific to night photography, the lens I wish I had and the lens I'm working towards getting, I'm saving my pennies to get, is the Rokinon, <clears throat> sorry, the Rokinon FE14M-C. It's a 14mm f2.8 lens. It is a prime lens, so there's no zoom in and out. And, um, and it's also manual focus only, which is okay for night photography because autofocus pretty much fails. So does a lot of other... Uh, technologies inside your camera. Your light meter is pretty well useless. The histogram has very little data in it so that you can't hardly see whether it's a good exposure or not. And we're going to get to the, kind of the settings I used and how I got there. But um, the fact that this is a, a manual focus lens is not a showstopper at all in the case of night photography. Again, because autofocus really fails pretty much in night photography. So, uh, so I really wish I had that lens because I think even though I'm giving up three millimeters on the focal length, which is huge at wide angle focal lengths, that's a big, big difference. That's really zoomed in from 11, even though that's happening, the edges are cleaner. 
so much that I think I wouldn't have to consider that in cropping and I'd be able to keep the edges a lot better. So I, I'd really like to try that lens out. Nick Page has convinced me that that's the lens I should go for and uh, I'm saving my pennies to get there so that I can improve my shots even further. So those that's the lens. And oh, and by the way, the Rokinon would be at $340. So if night photography in particular is what you're going for, you can get that cheaper D Nikon D3200 for $350. You can get this Rokinon lens for $340. And then you, any tripod pretty much would work. And you're way less than $1,000 in to be able to get to a place where you have a good chance of getting some nice night photography images. Uh, the point being, I don't care what gear you've got. If, as long as it's not point and shoot or smartphone, you have a good chance. So tripod's the last part of the gear, and that's I'm personally using the Enduro, I-N-D-U-R-O, AKB1. It's a 62-inch high tripod, but only when the center column is fully extended, which I never do. And um, so, it, I mean, it's not the best tripod in the world. It, there's tripods that are lighter and more compact when they're put down and taller when they're put up. And... They, but they cost quite a bit more money. This this enduro tripod comes in at one hundred and sixty dollars. It comes with a tripod, kind of a ball head system. Not not exactly um, what the nice ball heads are, but you can replace that too with a nicer one later that will cost as much as the tripod did. I haven't yet. I've used it since twenty thirteen. It's been very durable. It's not a gear review here, so I'm not going to talk any more about it, but. You need a tripod, obviously, to do night photography. Your shutter speed is going to be measured in seconds, multiple seconds, and there's no you have no chance of holding it still. You could try to leverage it on a rock or put it on a car. I've done that before as I forgot my tripod occasionally when I've gone, gone up to summer camps and overnighters. Um, but that reduces the uh, opportunity you have to pull in the right composition. You're left to, well, there's a rock here, so what can I do from this rock? And it limits you a little bit on how you can position your camera. So bringing a tripod, whatever it is, is better. It's just that the Enduro can last a little longer. Those cheapy $35 ones or the ones that come with your camera, they fall apart really, really fast as you use them. So investing a little bit in a tripod is a good idea if you're going to do this a lot. All right, so there's the gear. Now let's go through the settings. So let's talk about how I arrived at the settings. And I'm just, boy, I've already gone droned on long about this. But let's get to that, and then I'll do some Lightroom, and we'll wrap up this episode about how I got the shot. So settings, again, I've done enough of this experimenting at night with my specific combination of gear to kind of have an idea about what I needed to start with on my settings. So I already knew where I needed to be. It shortened how much. I only took about 20 minutes to get these photos. I took 25 shots in that time, trying different things, trying to see how I could get the exposure to be what I wanted for that specific setting, that, that environment. I shouldn't say settings. <laughs> in that environment. But what, I'm, what I want to discourage you is, I, can't, I don't want you to think, if I set my camera settings to exactly what Jeff did, I'm going to get an awesome shot like that too, because it's different. I know you, I hate it when photographers say it depends and there's so many variables I can't tell you, but it's really the truth. I can't, I can't say as if you set it exactly the same settings, you're going to have your scene, your landscape scene turn out like mine did because there's too many variables there. You have different gear. You're going to be in a different place. You're going to be a different time. It's not going to be the same. And so the process of how you get there is more important than what my final settings ended up being. So process-wise, let me go through how I evaluated and what I've learned from previous shoots about how I wanted to set up my camera. First off, I knew ISO needs to be really high. 
I knew that um, because I don't, even though I would love to have a shutter speed be open for minutes to do this, it's not possible because of problems you get with star trails forming. When the earth is rotating, those stars appear to us to be moving. And when your camera stays on the earth in the one position on the earth, when it's on the tripod, those stars move in the photo. And you've all seen what happens when light moves in a low light photo. It makes this trail across the photo. And in the case of the stars, they start moving in a semicircular sort of pattern. If you do it long enough, you get a really big semicircle or even full circles if it's around the North Star. And um, that's not what I want in the photo. Some, some photos are after that. Some photos want to capture star trails, and that's the effect they want. And they'll go for minutes trying to do it. But you don't have minutes here, which means you've got to compensate in the exposure triangle with the other two pieces of ISO and aperture. And so I knew I needed a really high ISO. That's where a camera body that can handle high ISO will help in night photography. But it was acceptable. I've, by previous experience, I knew for me, I, was, I found the noise to be acceptable at 3200 ISO on my Canon 70 Mark II. That wouldn't suit everyone. Um, you're going to have to, I think, do some testing of your camera to see where your line is going to be drawn about, wow, that's just too much noise at this point. So go out at night, even if you're not ready to shoot the night scene and have it be really compelling. If all you want to do is get some practice in so that you can figure out where your line needs to be drawn with your gear, go out at night, any night, and just shoot something dark. <laughs> take it at different ISO levels, shoot something dark, and take it back into the computer so you can kind of see, all right, at this point, that's too much noise. I don't want to go to that point or above it on the ISO. It won't be acceptable. And that's really good to figure out. I figured it out just because I've been shooting. 3200 ISO is what was acceptable on my 70 Mark II. On my 60D and T3i that I used before this, uh, 1600 was all I was comfortable with. So I did get a little bit more in the 70 Mark II up to 3200. So I knew the first thing I set my camera to was ISO 3200. All right, now the f-stop, the aperture. Uh, I knew I wanted to go to f2.8 on this. And you might think, well, okay, wait. So f2.8, if I understand aperture right, that, mean, that means a really short depth of field. That means uh, a lot of the scene is going to be out of focus, especially because I had this foreground element that's close, pretty close to me in the tent, and then the pine trees, and then the stars. Uh, the tent wasn't far enough away that probably ended up being in at infinity at that point. So isn't something going to be kind of uh, not as sharp? Probably true. But the other thing that you have that in your advantage is it's nighttime and edges aren't actually very sharp at all anyway. Just even your normal vision, your normal night vision with your human eye, you don't make out edges as cleanly as you do during the day. So it's a lot more forgiving on things not being perfectly sharp. Not to say you shouldn't try to get them as sharp as you can. Absolutely want to get as much sharpness as possible. But going at f2.8 in a landscape photo at night is far more acceptable than it would be during the middle of the day. That's, that's what I'm getting at. And I knew because I only can go to f3200 or ISO 3200, I knew I needed as much light as possible from the lens and I needed to go... Um, open it up as wide as it would go. And that's why 2.8 is really, really important for night photography. It'd be even better at 1.8 or 1.2. There's enough room in there to be able to have decently sharp photos and still get a lot of light gathered in. That really helps a lot. 
Okay, um, shutter speed then. As a general guideline, there's this thing. <coughs> as a general guideline, there's this rule known as the 500 rule that um, kind of gives you a starting point to know how long you can keep your shutter open before that star trails effect happens, before those circular stars become these like oblong shapes and not circles, not pinpoint circles. And the rule is a rough estimate. It doesn't mean it's going to be perfect every time. It doesn't mean with your gear it's going to be there. Again, another thing you kind of have to test to see how your specific combination of of gear, your lens and body, how that works and, and what the actual values turn out to be. I've done enough testing to know where mine is. And, uh, but the general rule, I'll go over that briefly. So it's, it's, you take 500 and divide it by the focal length. And that tells you how many seconds you can have your shutter open before the stars change from circles to oblong shapes. And it's rough, but you also have to consider with crop sensor bodies or anything that's not a 50, 50 millimeter, um, equivalent, the full frame, uh, you have to account the crop factor. So at 11 millimeters, since that's what I was shooting on the lens, times 1.6 crop factor, I'm at 17 millimeters for this 500 rule calculation. And if you divide 500 by 17, you get 29. So I should be able to go 29 seconds on the shutter speed and not have that um, make the stars look like they're not circles. But in practice, I found that doesn't work. <laughs> My lens, uh, especially in those corners I mentioned, there's some distortion there. They'll distort no matter how long I do it, really, but at, at f2.8. But um, if you shoot, if I shoot it more than about 20 seconds, my stars change to be unacceptably altered for my shooting, for my preferences. So I want to keep with my Tokina lens under 20 seconds. That, that's my goal when I do night photography. I need 20 seconds. And so uh, going be able to go to ISO 3200 is really helpful in my 7D Mark II because that gives me a lot more options on what I can expose for. Now, so, so I, I could have gone 20 seconds. That would be kind of the starting point normally when I take a shot. But in this particular one, I had that glowing tent in the scene. And that was going to be a challenge. I knew if I went 20 seconds, I thought at 20 seconds, ISO 3200, f2.8, and 20 full seconds, that tent is probably going to be super blown out. I won't have any detail left in like the edges of the tent and in, in a lot of stuff. It's going to look like this really super bright nova <laughs> in the middle of the photo, kind of the subject of the photo. And I needed to get the, the tent to not be blown out. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to go in half of that. I'm going to try it at 10 seconds first. So I hadn't taken a shot yet, and this was what was going through my mind, was I'm going to back off from that 20-second limit. I'm going to go to, to 10 seconds and see how the tent looks. I wasn't even super worried yet about the rest of the scene because I wanted to make sure that I got the tent exposed well. And so I, I dialed it in. 10 seconds, f2.8, ISO 3200, got the tripod settled kind of, made a, a half effort at composition because I knew this wasn't my final shot yet. Took the shot and looked at it and yep, the tent looked pretty good. Now the LCD will lie to you. I've gone through that before. Even in the middle of the day, the LCD will lie to you. Things look different on that tiny, tiny little screen. And when you're looking at it in the daytime, it can look a little washed out. And at night, it's super, super bright. And you think you got a brighter picture than you did. You can't see the noise that's there. It definitely lies to you. And that's why I normally recommend in the daytime, when you have more light, 
I recommend you use the histogram as the way to determine if your exposure is right or not. And I've done a whole pot, photo taco episode on that. So if you don't know what histogram is or how to use it, look up that episode, just search Google photo taco histogram and you'll, you'll come to the episode. It's a good way to learn it. But um, in this case, histogram isn't going to help either. The LCD I knew was lying to me and the histogram is really not very helpful in a night photo scene to determine how your exposure is going. So uh, without those two aspects, really all I could look for was on the LCD screen that I know was lying to me, can I still make out some details of the tent? Can I still see edges there? Can I still make out some details? So I could zoom in, I could check that out, and I'm like, yep, I can still see some details of the tent. That's not overexposed so badly that it'll be a problem. If I decide in post that it's overexposed, I can ratchet down the highlights or the exposure of just the tent using an adjustment brush in Lightroom. And so I was happy. I was like, okay, 10 seconds is going to get me there. I could have taken the approach of trying to expose for the tent in one shot and then use the exposure, maybe doing a 20 second shot for the rest of the photo. That, that would be an acceptable way to do this. I wanted to try to get it in one shot though. I wanted to see what I could accomplish with a single shot and not have to composite things together and go into Photoshop and do a bunch of work on the photo. I probably would have ended up with a better photo if I had because I could have exposed for the tent and got less noise with the tent. I, uh, I probably I could have um, stopped it down a little bit and seen uh, how that looked, maybe got rid of some of the distortion in the edges and the softness in the edges. These are the things that I learned on this shoot that I want to try so that I can do a better job of it next time. I had room. I only went 10 seconds on the exposure. I had 10 more seconds worth of exposure time that I could have tried. And if I'd have stopped down my lens from 2.8 and went to like 3.2 or 3.5, maybe even 4 and see how I how it turned out that might have improved the edge quality enough. I wouldn't have to crop out. I wouldn't have to throw away edges. So I wish I would have tried that. I didn't think of it while I was out there. And that's what I learned on this shoot was that I, that's what I want to try next time. When I have that much room in the exposure length, then stopping down is a good choice because I won't be pushing the, the lens to its limits as much. Anyway, that's what I took the shot. That's what I ended up with the camera settings. And hopefully walking through the process is something that you've learned kind of what you can do as you're shooting it too. All right. Now I went into Lightroom and uh, was processing the photo. And the fortunate thing is I didn't have to do a lot of processing on this photo. Um, again, I wanted the tent to really be the subject. I just wanted the Milky Way as an interesting way to see the, the, the subject there. Uh, I didn't have to do a lot. So let's just start in the basic panel. I'm just going to rip through kind of the, the settings that I went to and why. <coughs> All right, so the first setting is exposure. I went to plus 0.57, so I did actually add a bit more exposure. I could probably, I should have either lengthened the time slightly, I think, on the photo. It was slightly more underexposed than I had hoped, or uh, somehow changed the exposure triangle to get a bit more exposure, but it's sure hard to tell when you're out in the field what you want it to be. That's why it's safe, it's much safer to try to take a few of exactly the same composition, the same shots, if you can manage that at different uh, ISO settings, different f-stops, trying just to give you some choices in case the one that you think is gonna work isn't quite there, then maybe you can go to another one that is and maybe you can pull some from others and composite things together. I didn't want to spend a ton of time on shooting the scene. I was there to help Boy Scouts with their camping, not shoot photography. So this was a short 
lived shoot and I needed to actually get to bed because we had to get up early in the morning. So uh, anyway, exposure was I, I added about a half a stop there. And then shadows, I took that up to 100%. I almost always do because I want to have the middle layer of the photo, those pine trees, I wanted to get some detail in them. And by default, they ended up really just being silhouettes. And I didn't want a silhouette. I wanted to have it do it. In fact, I tried to do a little light painting using my flashlight and swipe my flashlight across those pine trees. I have a nice LED flashlight that goes, throws the light pretty well, pretty focused. And I tried to do it. I didn't get any that I was happy with with the light painting. That's a really hard part of night photography. And um, I keep, I, I'm going to keep practicing on that so that I can get better at it. I didn't want to spend enough time to get that perfect. And I, I could tell in the shots I was doing where I did the light painting that it just wasn't working. I had hot spots. It looked unnatural and, and not real good. So I decided I'll, I'll just boost up the shadows. I knew that would introduce noise in the photo, but it's still dark enough that you can't really notice the noise. It's just making, bringing a little detail into the pine trees and it's not so detailed that you really notice a lot of noise in it. But I raised the shadows all the way up to plus 99 in Lightroom. I increased the clarity plus 15. Nick Page hates clarity, but I really like it in landscapes. I like how it crispens things up a little bit. Maybe because my lens is a little softer than his. Um, and maybe I wouldn't add clarity if I used the Rokinon lens. But I added plus 15 on clarity. Took the vibrance up to plus 27. I like adding a lot of vibrance, especially to my landscape photos. And then I color balanced, um, adding some yellow. Uh, night photos tend to, at least with my Canon sensor, be very blue. They have a lot of really cool tint to them. And uh, it makes the sky look super purple. And I wanted it to look more like I remembered it. I wanted it brighter than that. So my personal taste is to add some yellow to the temp. I move that temp slider towards the yellow, the right hand side. And tint too, it tends to be too green. In everything I shoot on my Canon sensor, it seems to be too green for me. And I add pink back in, I add some magenta back in. So I moved both of those just enough until to taste until uh, the whole scene looked more like I had hoped. All right, so that takes care of the basic panel. The next thing I did in Lightroom, and, and I'm explaining this because the performance of Lightroom can be a problem if you move on. If you go do sharpening and noise reduction and lens correction, kind of follow down, um, HSL would be fine, but if you go further down than that in the panels and start doing those, Lightroom slows down a lot. So the next thing I did was adjustment brushes because I wanted those to be as fast as possible without having to have all of those other things in place, the lens correction, the sharpening in particular. So uh, next I did my light, my, um, my adjustment brushes. And I started with the whole night sky that takes up about a third of the photo. And um, I painted across the entire night sky, including the Milky Way first. And what I was going for was dehaze. That is a super awesome slider that helps with night photos in Lightroom. I started with the haze and I, I painted the whole sky first and then I used the dehaze slider and I went up to the point where the noise and the lighter parts of the sky that I wanted to drop to black would do that without the stars doing it. I've also found that if I enable auto mask when I paint and I start kind of in a dark spot of the sky, it does a good job, the auto mask does, of kind of leaving the stars alone so that you're not actually painting the stars too, at least the brightest ones. So dehaze won't touch those pinpoint bright stars and it'll mostly just impact the backgrounds where there's noise 
and where there's brighter parts that you want to be dark. So I, I enabled auto mask, I painted it, and then I went to haze up to 77s where on this photo, I liked that. Then I, I got another new adjustment brush and I painted just the gal, the Milky Way. I wanted to emphasize that a little bit more, draw it out that it's there and draw attention to it. I increased the exposure to plus 0.27, so about a quarter of a stop of extra light, just to bring it out, just to, I dehazed to the point where I kind of lost some of that Milky Way dust that's there and I wanted it. So 0.27 is where I ended up to, on this photo. I also minused the dehaze a little bit. I went minus nine on the dehaze, taking just a little bit off of the dehaze and then saturation, I increased quite a bit. I went up to uh, plus 38 on the saturation, trying to bring out the colors of the Milky Way that are there. Um, so very simple little technique there to brush in the Milky Way. And then the third one I did was on the tent. And that's because the tent was, was a little too bright. I thought it might when I looked at it, but I was right in that when I saw it on my LCD screen and I zoomed in on the tent, the detail was still there, meaning that I knew it wasn't blown out and I could reduce it in post to whatever level I wanted it to be. So it wasn't this bright, bright thing in the, in the scene. And that's exactly what I had to do. Um, what I did is I didn't do exposure. I wanted the darker parts of that tent to be just as bright as they were, but I wanted the, the brightest part to go down a little bit. So I changed the highlights slider and I went minus 28 on the highlights. I also decreased the noise a little more on just the tent by moving the noise slider to the right. And I went to about 30 there on that so that the noise would be reduced a little bit more. I didn't care if some of the um, cloth texture of the tent wasn't visible. I wanted the noise to, to not be there as much in the brighter parts of that photo or that part of the tent. So those, <laughs> so those are the three adjustment brushes that I added to this photo. I thought about just adding an adjustment brush layer two on the pine trees and maybe not using an overall exposure where I bumped it up um, a half a stop, but just paint on the pine trees and bring that up. But I didn't like how it ended up looking. I, in this particular photo, I didn't like the way that, that the results that, that uh, did. So the overall general uh, exposure increase kind of got me to where I wanted to be on the photo. So that's how I did it. Uh, in this one, I didn't actually do anything in HSL this time. And I didn't do anything in split toning or tone curve. I went to the detail panel then and I added some sharpening. I changed the mask. I hold down the Alt key or the Option key in Windows and I changed, or the control key, and I changed the masking all the way up to 64. And the thinking there is I wanted the edges to be sharpened and not the middle pieces, especially the sky. I only wanted the stars, the edges of the stars to be sharpened and not, not the rest of the sky. There's noise in the sky. There's noise throughout the photo and I don't want to sharpen the noise and make that more prominent. I want to sharpen the edges. And Lightroom does a really good job when you apply the masking correctly. I hold down the option key so that I can see kind of a black and white image. I can see the edges as they become really clear and in view. So I took the masking all the way to 64 and then I did a sharpening amount of 70. I went up pretty high on the sharpening to make it so that we had some nice crisp, crisp clean edges in the photo. Then noise reduction, I usually on my photos don't use much noise reduction. The Canon 70 Mark II does a pretty good job with the noise, not as good as some other cameras, but it, it's it's better than what I'd had with the uh, 60D or the T3i. 
And on this photo, there was lots of noise. So I decided to go do some noise reduction. I took it up to 15 and, uh, and that really seemed to help and make the noise kind of a more reasonable level without making, losing a lot of sharpness in the photo. So that seemed like an acceptable trade-off to me in this particular photo. Then I went to lens corrections and I changed, uh, I did remove chromatic aberration and enable profile corrections. There is some good chromatic aberration in my lens at f2.8. It's at its limits and it has struggles with that. So I also switched over to manual in the lens corrections, grabbed the eyedropper next to the fringe, and went up to one of the stars where there was a nice purple semicircle kind of just barely off to the right of that in one in the edges. And I clicked in there and that purple part, boom, the purple defringing, purple went away and it made it look just a little bit sharper in the star area. That's it. That's what I did in Lightroom for processing the photo. And that's how I got the shot. So I hope you enjoyed the podcast. I know it went a little long and I hope I recorded it short enough this time that it's acceptable. Um, but that's that's it for this episode. I hope you learned a little bit about how it is I approach night photography and that it will help you to get out there and shoot some night photography. Love to see your pictures. If you shoot night photography and you used any of the techniques I've talked about and want to share that shot, we'd love to have that in the Photo Taco Facebook group. Just make sure you don't post just the photo. Post your settings, post maybe some challenges or maybe what you learned as you did it. Um, and the group will help you. I'll help you. I'll give you comments and feedback and things you could try, things you maybe didn't think of. Um, we'd love to see that and learn together. I learn all the time from the answers on the Facebook group. If you haven't checked them out yet, go check out the sister podcast of Photo Taco at uh, the Portrait Sessions podcast, the Tripod podcast, and of course, the Improved Photography podcast, where I'm on there frequently. Uh, also, uh, go visit the mothership, improvephotography.com. We have lots of articles going up there every single day. If you're not checking out the site every day, if it's not part of your morning routine yet, as you're getting ready for work or doing whatever you're getting ready for for the day, if you're not checking that out, you're missing out on some opportunities to learn about photography, especially if you're just starting out. But um, there's good news, gear, and other photo tip articles all the time out there. Brian Pex is uh, active in our Facebook group for Photo Taco, and he's killing it with some articles that he has out on the site. Really good stuff that he's producing. You need to check out those articles at improvephotography.com. It is the best way to improve your photography. Views expressed on this program by independent host guests and callers do not necessarily reflect their views of improved photography LLC or its advertisers. Some links mentioned on this program are affiliate links where a commission reserved.